feel like when we look at fine art, when we hear music, when we listen to great literature, we're informing our sense of beauty. And the only way that children can really understand what they find beautiful and what is beautiful is by being exposed to it, even from a young age. Welcome to Homeschool Conversations with Humility and Doxology, a series of interviews with real-life homeschool moms, dads, and other educators on all sorts of topics that affect our lives as homeschool parents. I'm Amy Sloan, a second-generation homeschool mom of five, and I am so delighted that you are here. Here on Homeschool Conversations, we'll discuss educational philosophy, family life, and more. Come chat with us. Hey guys, it's the holiday season and that means the opportunity to get out all of our favorite Thanksgiving and Christmas picture books. Every year, it's one of my favorite parts of the holiday season, returning to our family favorites and trying new fun titles. So we are already ready with our Thanksgiving picture books and are going to start putting some of those Christmas books on hold at the library soon. So if you would like to know some of our family favorites, you can head to humilityanddoxology.com. Um, I have a Thanksgiving book list, a free download for you there, as well as a Christmas book download. Or if you just want a really easy, clickable um, list, you can head to amazon.com slash shop slash humility and doxology. Again, that's amazon.com slash shop slash humility and doxology. And if I've left off one of your family favorites, I would love it if you would leave me a message via email or record an audio message um, and let me know what new Thanksgiving and Christmas books our family should try this year. Hello, everyone. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Rebecca Zip. Rebecca lives in Colorado with her husband, two kids, three cats, and whatever insect pets her kids have recently captured. She dabbles in graphic design, but has a degree in art history, which she is thankful to be able to use in her homeschooling endeavors. She was introduced to Charlotte Mason in 2013 after exploring other educational philosophies and knew immediately that this was what she wanted for her family. She enjoys the freedom found in Charlotte Mason education and the fact that it not only nourishes the minds, hearts, and souls of her children, but hers as well. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rebecca. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored. Could we start just by, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and how you came to start homeschooling. Okay. Um, So as you said, um, I live in Colorado and I'm actually originally... um, raised in Minnesota. So I kind of consider that my home. Um, My husband and I have been married for 16 years and we have a 10 year old boy and a seven year old girl. And, um, you know, I don't really think there was ever a time that I didn't consider or I didn't, I thought about not homeschooling. Um, Even when my, my son was teeny tiny and um, you know, his, uh, the, kids around his age were starting to go to preschool and um, being enrolled in that. 
we just kind of didn't do it. <laughs> we just didn't enroll him. And we, we did our own little sort of pseudo preschool at home where we um, just read books and did crafts together and um, went on little field trips and, and things like that. And it worked really well and it felt really natural. So we just kind of naturally evolved into homeschooling when he reached school age as well. So, yeah. Rebecca, how has your homeschooling philosophy and kind of approach to education changed over the years? Like, were you always drawn to Charlotte Mason or tell me a little bit about that process? Well, when, um, when I first started thinking about homeschooling, I didn't know about Charlotte Mason yet. Um, I think my son was probably about two and I was looking at other approaches. Um, I went to public school and then private school. My husband um, graduated from public school. And so neither one of us had really much experience with it. I had a, I had a friend, a good friend who had been homeschooled, but um, I started looking at different philosophies and um, Montessori was one that really appealed to me. So we kind of started to do um, some Montessori things. I sort of started looking at Waldorf, but there were parts of it that really I didn't like. <laughs> and so I didn't go far down that path. Um, and then in 2013, um, all of these, I, I used to um, do work for bloggers and all of these bloggers were talking about this woman named Charlotte Mason. And I just, um, who's Charlotte Mason? I don't know. So <laughs> I started reading more about her. And at first it was kind of like, well, she she spends a lot of time outside and she reads a lot of books. Okay, that, I guess that sounds good. And the deeper that I got into it, um, the more that I read about her and um, just what people were, were talking about how they implemented her philosophies, it just really resonated very deeply with me. And even as we've, we've gone through, we're, we're just ending our fifth year um, homeschooling. Um, even as we've gone through these five years, just, you know, it's even my, my view of homeschooling and what education is about has actually evolved a little bit, even within these five years, but it's still, still very much Charlotte Mason. So it yeah. sounds like it's kind of been an organic growing process. A yeah. lot of the moms that I've talked to who talk about, you know, their kind of changes or growth in home education philosophy and approach normally it hasn't been some sort of like this day we were doing one thing and the next day we just totally changed gears. It's right. a living thing like homeschooling and education is this, this little plant that we're nurturing and, and sometimes it surprises us or sometimes, um, you know, it takes us in a different direction, but mm -hmm. it's just slowly growing and, and developing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's been, um, you know, just even within, like I said, even within the philosophy of Charlotte Mason's philosophies, um, when I first started looking at education as, you know, okay, it's a way to, to allow my, my children to be contributing members of society and enter the workforce. And that's what the main goal of education is. And that has changed tremendously, um, especially just in the last few years, because I can see how that sort of education that I was given was like really, <laughs> really inadequate. And that was the goal of that, that education. And now as I'm going through all of this with my son and my daughter, um, it feels like I'm redoing my own education, but then I can see the value of just, of learning, you know, just, just on its own. So that's been, that's been a really neat change for me. Yeah. I love that we can have something beyond just a pragmatic 
practical approach mm-hmm. to education. Well, maybe I shouldn't say not, pra- it's not that it's impractical. Right, right. <laughs> because actually this is the most practical thing you could be doing. It's right. kind of like in our family devotions, we think, you know, really, are you going to invest that much time every single day as a family in this endeavor? Yeah. Um, you know, you're not achieving something that you can see with your physical eyes. And yep. yet that's the most practical thing we could possibly be be investing in. Yes, definitely. Well, that's obviously one wonderful part of homeschooling. Are there any other things that are your kind of favorite parts of homeschooling? There's a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously it's challenging at times, but um, I think I love the flexibility. Um, you know, if we wake up one morning and it's a beautiful day outside, we can say, let's go for a hike today. You know, we'll, we'll push off our reading to next week or, you know, whatever. We, we have that flexibility. Um, if, if a subject or a particular book is challenging for one of my kids, we can take it slower or we can look at alternatives. Um, if there's a specific subject that really interests them, like my son, um, he's very science-minded. And so um, let this last term in our homeschool, I said, let's look at you know different science curricula. And he picked out one on magnets and we went with it. And that was a lot of fun. Um, this term, they, whenever we go for hikes, they come back with pockets full of rocks. So many rocks. <laughs> we have so many rocks. <laughs> and um, I, I looked at that and I said, oh, well, why don't we do geology this term? So that's what we're doing this term. Um, but also, I think one of the biggest things is that I get to be with them every day. And the idea of, you know, sending them off somewhere for eight hours a day where they're with, you know, people that I mostly don't know, that it just doesn't, it doesn't feel natural to me. And so I'm, I'm excited that every day I get to be with them, I get to watch them growing and learning and becoming more of who God created them to be. Um, You know, just, uh, I, I don't know, just, just being with them, because we, you know, we only have a finite amount of time with our kids And I want to make the most of that. And so I feel like that is a huge benefit for homeschooling for me is that I get to be with them. And now that my oldest is a junior in high school and I'm just seeing how little time left we have, it makes me even more thankful and appreciative for all the time that we have spent together, not just me with my son, but also the siblings together and Mm -hmm. just such a precious, precious gift of homeschooling. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's not always fun and easy. So so what are some of those challenges of homeschooling and how do you seek to kind of overcome those challenges? Okay. So when I first started um, homeschooling, when my we were doing my son's kindergarten year, I'm very much a check off the boxes kind of person. And so we had to do everything. We had to do everything on our list every single day. We could not miss a day for any reason, unless one of us was sick. Um, there was no flexibility. And fortunately that year it was, it was really relaxed. It was only about 45 minutes a day. Um, it was really, really, really simple, but, um, going into his, his first grade year, year one, I carried that. And as time has progressed, I've seen that that can't, it's that, that it really complicates things and makes things really difficult um, when you, you don't embrace that flexibility of homeschooling. And so that's been a challenge, just trying to, to kind of say no to that part of my personality and say, it's okay if we, you know, just don't do this book or we skip this or we 
you know, substitute something else. Um, but again, like I said, that that's also been a blessing. So I think that helps encourage me in that area because I can see it paying off um, when we do have that flexibility. And then I think, you know, just um, trying to be a teacher and a mom is, is sometimes hard, you know, because sometimes you, you have to be the bad guy. <laughs> you have to be the one who really um, makes them understand that, you know, I know you don't like to do this, but we really have to do it. And if we don't do it, you know, it's really bad. Not necessarily specific subjects, but overall, like there are, there are things that are hard. There are challenges for our kids. And then we have to be kind of the ones to enforce that. No, sorry. I know it's hard, but we still have to do it. And that's, that's been hard for, at times for, um, just how to handle that in a, in a loving and gentle and, um, understanding way. I think it'll be encouraging for moms to hear if they're facing that struggle though, that they're not alone. Like there's mm -hmm. not something wrong with them or their homeschools or their kids. Yeah. This is a very common struggle and I don't think we'll ever completely, you know, fix it or overcome it, but we keep like working through it together yeah. with our children and as families. And yeah. yeah, I think there's so much in that, you know, like that was a great question to ask because I think so often we, especially with like social media, we look at how other people do homeschool or anything really, but I think homeschool, just because I'm in that world, um, it always seems like everybody else has it, you know, figured out and they're doing it perfectly and everything's just, you know, they've got their nice flat lays and stuff like that. And it's just, it's just so perfect. And why can't mine look that way? And my kids aren't, don't behave. My kids are monsters sometimes. And, you know, it's, it's good to know that, no, it is, it is challenging. It's not an easy thing to do. And embracing that and, and and encouraging each other to work through that. And also when we share that it's been a challenge, we can say, okay, but this is what I did, you know, to, to try to work through that. And maybe, you know, maybe other people can try that too. Yeah. If, you that question. <laughs> if your kids' clothes don't match like the curriculum, so you get this really great right. photograph, you're okay. It's all right. I yes. never can do that. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not that that talented or nor do I have the time right. <laughs> to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rebecca, one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you today was last season I was chatting with Adrian Fries on the podcast and she was talking about picture study and, and Charlotte Mason and classical education. And she recommended that I speak to you specifically okay. about picture study and art history and things like that. So I was like, yeah. oh, great. I need, I need to talk to Rebecca about this. <laughs> so kind of going back before we talk about it in the context of our, of our families, what first sparked your own interest in art history? And then kind of from that, like, why do you think it's important to include it in our own homeschools? Well, I always had an interest in art. Um, when I was a little girl, I loved to draw and I loved to look at art books. Um, I was uh, raised by just my dad and I didn't meet my mother until I was 29. But one of the few things that I knew about her was that she also enjoyed art. She drew and painted. And I guess, I don't know if it was subconsciously or consciously, I felt like that was a tie about Um, I originally majored in um, journalism 
with an intention to become a photojournalist, but just, you know, a few months in, I decided that wasn't for me. Um, and I switched to graphic design. And one of the requirements for uh, fine arts degrees or arts degrees was art history. And so I took an art history class and I was just completely hooked. And I, before the end of that term <laughs> or that semester, I switched again. And so even though I switched twice during my freshman year, I never switched a degree in that. So I've always, always enjoyed it, always found it fascinating and loved it. Um, and, you know, going into, that was actually one of the big draws for me with Charlotte Mason was that she put an emphasis on um, exposing children to fine art. Um, and I, I mean, I do think that's very important. I, I feel like any more beauty, certain kinds of beauty are becoming less important in our society. And you see, um, even just near my, where my husband's old office was, there was a STEM school. And that's really becoming more and more popular because it's, you know, it's productive and um, it fulfills a, a need or requirement that is, you know, kind of tangible. Um, it's usually very lucrative, the, the engineering and science fields. And they're eliminating the arts. So there's, you know, no music, no fine arts, no literature and those things. And I just, it makes me really sad for one thing, but I see a loss in that too, because I feel like when we look at fine art, when we hear music, when we listen to great literature, we're informing our sense of beauty. And the only way that children can really understand what they find beautiful and what is beautiful is by being exposed to it, even from a young age. And that's, I feel like that's what fine art does. It shows us the beautiful. And it also is part of our history. You know, so many of these paintings, I mean, just on a, on a basic level, so many of, of these paintings depict historical um, events or historical people or even just historical fashion, you know, just really simple things about the way life was at a given time, what was important, what was valued. Um, and then, you know, the skill of the artist, there's just so much in it. And then an even more basic level, it comes up in everyday conversation when somebody says, oh, she looks like a Mona Lisa or whatever. If you're not being exposed to that, you have no no reference. You've no idea what they're talking about. And I think that is another example of that is how, um, you know, over the last 100, 150 years or so, this is, 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 this is how I compare it in my mind. Um, we have really no idea about Greek and Roman mythology, as, as weird as that sounds. But if you read books that were written years and years ago, a lot of them reference Greek and Roman um, mythology, the stories, and the author has the assumption that you know what they're talking about. And now I'm reading through um, Age of Fable with my son, and most of these stories, I have no idea. I've never heard them. And that's been so interesting to me because as I've um, read other things or even watched movies or whatever, these stories have popped up and now I understand, oh, that's what they're talking about. And I feel like that's also true with art, when, when something is, is compared with a painting or a sculpture or, or something like that, you need, you need to know, you know what they're talking about to really be part of that conversation. So I don't know, there's just so many 
so many good things about art. Yes. <laughs> we should get rid of it. <laughs> oh, I agree. And I mean, it's part of our cultural vocabulary, mm -hmm. you know, to expand that. It, the more we understand, the more we, we start to pick up on, you know, that often kind of quoted, I guess, funny, I don't know what you would call it, but it's sort of like you, we, we educate our children this way so you can get all the inside jokes. Yes. The more you, all of a sudden you start picking up on all these things in right. books and paintings and movies and pop culture and all these things that are referencing jokes about other, you know, things from history that you didn't even right. pick up on. So the more you learn and grow, the more you, you start to pick up on those references. Yeah. 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 It's, and it's, you know, it's, it's just, we're missing out on so much. It just makes me sad for the future because these things just aren't considered important anymore. Well, let me ask you this question because you have this background in art history. You've <laughs> long loved it. You obviously are knowledgeable about it. And so I can imagine a mom listening and thinking, well, that's great. I'm sure that's easy for you to include in your homeschool. <laughs> but what about me? I don't really know anything about art. I have no idea how to even start with my children. Yeah. What would be some tips and strategies for that new to art history mom? Well, I think um, I think the big thing is to not overthink it. Um, <clears throat> I know that it can be intimidating, especially as homeschool moms, because it feels like sometimes we try to cram every little tidbit of, of you know, oh, facts and education in there that we can to try and round it out. But with art, the beauty of art is it's just about allowing your child to develop a relationship with the art itself. So looking at it on their own terms, um, interpreting it in their own way, just um, being exposed to it is the very most important thing. And I don't think anything else is as important as that. Um, you know, if, if, you, if you want to, you can talk about um, movements and schools and um, even the artists themselves. Um, but I really, in order for your child to develop that relationship, I don't think that that's absolutely necessary. So even just getting, you know, like those giant books that they have at Barnes and Noble in the discount section with, you know, different artists, that's fine. If that's all you have, as long as you're allowing them to, to see that and to experience it um, in their own way and not, you know, not guiding it. I think sometimes when I've seen, and I've, I've been guilty of this too, um, when you're looking at art with somebody, you want to point things out like, oh, do you see that? Oh, do you notice that? And I think that's especially true with our children because we want them to know. We want them to see all these things. But with art, it's just kind of important to stand back and just say, you know what, they're going to see what, what they're supposed to see. And they're, something that is standing out to them um, may be different than something that stands out to me. And that's fine. Either way is fine. So yeah, really yeah. just don't overthink it. <laughs> That's really encouraging. That's probably good advice for a lot of homeschool subjects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're like, okay, children, sit down. I just heard this podcast and we're going to like do this in-depth study. <laughs> right. And no wonder our kids aren't very interested. Yeah. <laughs> Being financially uneducated is expensive. Today's podcast sponsor, MoneyTimeKids.com, will teach your child all the things you wish you had been taught about money. You know personal finance is a critical life skill that your kids need, but how do you include it in your homeschool curriculum? 
Money Time is an online financial literacy program combining finance lessons with an interactive money management game, which is perfect for a homeschool elective. Podcast listeners can get 25% off annual licenses using the code HDPOD21 at checkout. Get the link and coupon code in today's show notes. All right. So let's imagine a step past. Okay. So I've got my big book from Barnes and Noble. We've sort of just begun that exposure. We've dipped our toe in, but now Mm -hmm. I want to begin a little bit more formal picture Mm -hmm. study with my kids. What might a a picture study time look like sort of an ordinary homeschool family? Well, um, it's just really simple. So we, we introduce for our picture study, we usually, um, I teach it in our, in our homeschool co-op and that's where we're introduced to each piece. And um, I'll start with just, you know, a little biography of an artist. And that's really simple to do. You can even look it up on Wikipedia. It's not the greatest resource in the world, but it gives you an idea of where that artist is coming from. Or if you have like, um, you know, one of those Barnes and Noble books, they usually have a biography in the beginning. What I usually do is I read it um, on my own beforehand. And then I sort of tell my kids back or narrate. Um, or summarize it for them. Like, this is what they, you know, this is where this artist was born. This is where they spent their life. Um, This was, you know, something they were passionate about, those sorts of things that's related to their art. And if there's, you know, a specific geographic region, we'll pull out a map and we'll look at that together. I don't really focus a lot on, um, again, um, movements or styles of painting, unless that comes kind of up naturally in the conversation. So for instance, with impressionism, you're gonna look at it and, and think, well, that's really different than what came before it. And usually kids pick up on those things. And so you can talk about that if you want to. Um, and then uh, we'll go into the first painting. And what I do is, is I hand it to them. So we get each individual prints for each child, hand it to them uh, face down. And then I have them flip it over. And it's, it's actually been kind of fun to do that because a lot of times, especially the kids in co-op, they'll try to guess what they're gonna see or, you know, it's kind of builds excitement, which is it's neat to see. Um, I had one student who was always looking for cows. He really wanted paintings with cows. <laughs> um, so he was disappointed often. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell them to flip it over and they'll take about three to five minutes to just look at it quietly, silently, no talking. Usually younger kids start to, their eyes start to wander and things like that around the three minute mark. But older students, like, you know, um, probably the high school, they usually really like to study them. And then once that time is over, I have them flip it back over and then they narrate what they saw to me. And it's amazing the variety um, of, of what they come up with, things that, that stuck out to them. I've had a lot of students um, say they saw things in the painting that weren't in the painting, but you could see how it could possibly be there. They like to count things, how many clouds there are, trees or cows or whatever the case is. Um, but it's just interesting to hear what they come up with. And this is, uh, I should say that this is how it looks in our home too, um, just shorter <laughs> because there's fewer and then once they've narrated it and said everything that they wanted to um, we flip it back over and we talk about it and they may have had questions during the narration and usually if they do ask a question I will I'll say well we'll talk about that after everyone's had a chance to narrate because I've found that sometimes another student's or child's narration answers the question of somebody else 
um, that had, that somebody else had. And so we'll talk about it and I'll usually do some research on the, the piece itself, but this isn't necessary. I just really want to emphasize that, that this is totally not necessary. Um, and I'll, I'll explain, you know, like if there's a story behind it, um, there, when we were doing Rubens, there was the fall of Phaeton. And so we, we actually read a really summarized version of that story. Um, or if it's uh, about a specific topic, um, I can't think of any specific examples right now, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Or if it's just generic. So um, I have some behind me, but like The Milkmaid by Vermeer, we'll just talk about um, what life was like in Delft in the 17th century. And I'll point out the tiles down here and how Delft is known for those tiles. And um, we think she's making bread pudding, just, just, you know, facts like that, that you can get from one of those Barnes and Noble books possibly, um, or from the internet. But on a very simple level, about it together. Oh, I really like her, her blue apron or, you know, what do you think she's making? You can ask them really open-ended questions. Um, if there's, there's people in the painting, you can say, what do you think they're thinking about? Or what do you think they're talking about? Or what do you think they're looking at? Um, if you were in this painting, what do you think you would hear? Do you think it's cold? Do you think it's hot? Just things that really get them thinking about, um, the painting and, yeah, just, again, just allowing them to have time with it. So. I love what you just said, too, because I could see, you know, as a mom with a, a wide age range, that this mm -hmm. is something that would work perfectly, even with very, very young students and yeah. older students, because each child is going to notice different things based mm -hmm. on their own maturity and experience, but then they're also sharing it with one another. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah and I've noticed the older students it's actually, sometimes it's more, it's, it's, I found it, um, more, I want to say enjoyable because <laughs> I love it on all ages, but with the older students, there are things that you can talk about more that you possibly wouldn't with younger students. And they, sometimes their, their insight into an artist and, and the life of the artist in, in relation to their work has been really interesting to hear as well. So I really enjoy that part of it. I'm very excited about this. I, I, I feel like so many times, like whether it's thinking about including foreign language or music mm -hmm. or I, I, I love Shakespeare, something seems very natural for us to include in our homeschool. Mm -hmm. And people will often be like, oh, that seems so overwhelming or crazy. But all of these different do these different things, we so often make them so much more complicated mm -hmm. in our heads. And then we're afraid we're not going to do it right. Or we're not going to do it in this sort of perfect ideal way that we think we ought to do it. So yeah. then we just don't do it at all. Yeah. And I am so guilty of that specifically with picture study. <laughs> this is like <laughs> a real, a real weakness. My older children are have not had um, as much as they they could have. Oh. But this is encouraging me that I have an opportunity to begin including it now, and it, it's okay. I can just move on from yeah, now and include yeah, it. Yeah, any time is good. Yeah, and simple yeah. is is good too. But I, yeah, I'm simple. Yes, yeah. I think it's it's it probably that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to kind of focus on this area in the homeschooling community was because I had seen that in so many places. So many people mentioned that, well, I don't know anything about art. I don't have an art history background. 
um, you know, all of that stuff. And I just want, you know, to, to emphasize it, it's, it shouldn't be complicated. In fact, if it's, if it's complicated, it's worse. <laughs> we don't want to complicate it. We want to just keep it really simple because that's, that's how they're going to get the most out of it and they're how they're going to enjoy it the most too. I love as far that. As my concerns. Yeah. 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 Well, I know another thing that you, you talk about some online as I was exploring your site is you talk about sort of these younger years in particular. Mm -hmm. So before we close, I was just curious, what would be some advice you would want to give to a new homeschooling mama or someone who has, has young, sort of those early years in their homeschool? Well, I think that goes along with what, you know, kind of what we've been talking about. Just don't overthink it. Don't complicate it, especially when they're so small. Um, don't try to start too early <laughs> and really enjoy those years when they're teeny tiny and, um, you know, don't put too, too much pressure on yourself in the beginning. And even, even as you go through, you know, I'm, I, I, my oldest is in fourth grade, so I have the experience up to fourth grade. Um, but I look back now on how much pressure I put on myself when he was in kindergarten and first grade and even into second and third grade. And I just thought, I really didn't need to do that. You know, I, I, I didn't enjoy that time. And in some ways I put pressure on him that I didn't need to, um, because I was kind of freaking out like, Oh no, this is a big deal. I'm going to screw him up. And you, it's, it's really hard <laughs> to screw your kids up just, just by doing too much, you know, it just, yeah. Don't overthink it. I think that's my biggest, I, I hesitate on some ways. I kind of hesitate to say it because I know, I know that feeling, that feeling of just wanting to do everything right and every wanting to do everything perfect. And I want to, I want to speak into that and say, I understand. I understand that feeling. That's a very real feeling. And I don't want to dismiss that. But then at the same time, I just want to say, okay, you can relax a little bit. <laughs> it's okay. It'll all be okay. <laughs> yes. If that makes sense. <laughs> Definitely such good encouragement. Well, Rebecca, here at the end, I've been asking all of my guests this season the same <laughs> couple of questions. I'm going to ask these to you as well. And the okay. first question is just, what are you personally reading lately? Well, um, right now I am reading The House of Mirth. Um, I found... Uh, Oh, Susan Wise Bowers, um, The Well-Read Mind List, and that's on there. So I've been going through that. Um, and then I'm reading Devoted, which is uh, a book. It's I think it's like 30, 30 chapters or 30 stories about godly moms and their godly sons and how their, their mothers um, affected their lives. And um, I just today in the mail got Jaber Crow, so I'm going to start that one. And then I'm reading two with my kids. I don't know if that counts, but I'm enjoying them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm reading tell. Um, Johnny Tremaine with my son, which I haven't read since I was in junior high and I forgot how good it is. So that's been fun. And then I'm reading Tum Tum and Nutmeg <laughs> with my seven-year-old daughter. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so fun. Yes. Well, a book that is worth reading when you're young is worth reading again when you're I old. Agree. So. I agree. I still, yeah. I don't think I have gotten tired of reading Blueberries for Sal yet. And that's a picture book oh. I've probably yes. read 22,000 yes, times. I think I have that one memorized. <laughs> but I hope like my great-grandchildren come and read it to me when I'm all old and I can't read. <laughs> yes, I'll have it memorized too. Yeah. Yes. Well, the final question is just, what are your best tips for helping the homeschool day run smoothly? Um, I think the biggest one I'm trying to focus on now is not looking at the clock because <laughs> it's so easy to get caught up in like, oh no, it's 
11 o'clock and we haven't even started this yet or whatever. Um, and uh, kind of like what I said before, and, and even just within your days, embrace that flexibility. If you need to, if somebody's having a breakdown and you need to stop what you're doing, it's okay to stop. Um, but at the same time, if something's going really well and, and, you know, you're enjoying that time together, keep going, you know, just, just kind of go with the flow and don't look at the clock. <laughs> good advice. Good encouragement. <laughs> Rebecca, where can people find you all around the internet? And then make sure you tell us um, where we can find your picture study and other resources that you have available. Sure. My website is a humbleplace.com. And, um, on there I have the, I have picture study aids, um, which kind of what we talked about before where they help you give, give you those facts <laughs> about the, the paintings and then a little bit of information about the artist. And those are in the shop on my page. Um, I also sell a Charlotte Mason inspired kindergarten curriculum, um, meant for, for children who are, you know, around six years old. And that's also in my shop. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram, a humble place as well. So that's pretty much where, how I am known. <laughs> um, those are my two main places. And I will have links to all of those things in the show notes for this episode over at humilityanddoxology.com. Okay, thank thank you. you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thanks for listening in on this week's homeschool conversation. For show notes and links to all the resources we discussed, head to humilityanddoxology.com slash homeschool-conversations. And if these episodes are an encouragement to you, would you take a moment to leave a rating and review and to share with your friends? I am so thankful that you are here on this adventure with me. Let's repent of our constant striving Relish the joy of learning and rest in the work of Christ on our behalf. Stand fast, my friends.